You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. On today's episode of Her Leadership Coach, we are talking to the wonderful Lisa Levy. Uh, I'm very excited to have this conversation. We're going to be talking about building teams and how we can do that really strategically. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Rochelle, thank you so much for me for inviting me to this conversation. Yeah, I'm I, like I said, I'm very excited to have it. I love uh, nerding out on all things leadership, and I really do like value how we build our teams and the connection we have with our teams as leaders. So I'm definitely looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for joining us. I would love for you to just take a few moments to introduce yourself and how you got into what you're doing now. Absolutely. So I am Lisa L. Levy. I am the preferred disruption and innovation catalyst which is one of those fun titles that we get to make up for ourselves so that people will smile and laugh and hopefully remember yeah. um, and make that connection. I am the, a, the founder of a consulting firm, an author of a book, a contributing author to two others, and a speaker, a, a business advisor, a business process efficiency person. There are so many things that I've done that take me on this journey that started out in IT project management mm. and working inside of organizations to implement new technology systems. And finding that when the technology was implemented, the end users were always very angry and frustrated and they didn't like what they had been given. And I'll do air quotes, right? They'd been given this new, this new thing and they were always so upset about it that it didn't do what they wanted it to do. And it made their job harder. And it was devastating for me as at that end of that, I was so proud and so excited that we've given them something new and they hated it. So I had to try and figure it out. And it was a puzzle that I needed to solve. And so I started, you know, learning things, right? Technology is an enabling tool. It helps us do things we already do. Well, that led me to asking questions. Do we actually know what we do? Do businesses understand their processes? Yeah. And more often than not, the answer is yes, no, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're certainly not documented well. Mm -hmm. And so my definition of do you know your process means do you have it well documented? And does the person who does something before you know what they're giving you? And do you know what you're doing and to whom you give it and what happens? Yeah. That's really what understanding process is all about. And so all of that ties back to people doing work. Mm -hmm. And so over a series of years, I learned that if we have the right people doing the right work, we can enable them with technology and allow businesses to grow and scale. Yeah. And so everything that we do in our business starts with our people and the right people in the right roles. We can have good people in the wrong roles and not get the results we want. So right, right people, right seat. All of these ideas came into play and Future Proofing Cubed is the book that I authored and released myself. And it takes 
the reader through the experience of the adaptive transformation framework, which is the methodology my team, we use when we consult that helps businesses align their people process and technology using some really big best practices in a very streamlined way that we can do in much smaller businesses than the large corporations where I learned how to do all this work. And the second book that I, I, I contributed to the gift of the universe through women who lead is a collection of female authors sharing their story as they stepped into leadership. Mm. It was a global group of women, lots of different experiences, stepping in and becoming a leader and what that was all about. And for me at about age 30, in a technology environment, that meant I was the only woman at the table. Yeah. And what that experience was actually like. And then Lady Diversity Power um, also kind of plays with the theme of that topic and um, was released earlier this year. So a series of things that one is very much what I do and how I do it. And the other two are stories of my journey through becoming a leader and, and what it took to get there. Amazing. I, and I like, those are the stories that I really love, like the, the understanding and being able to see ourselves and others, right? So looking at particularly leaders, we often hear from leaders that are really at the top and hear their stories. And you kind of like, sometimes you, you're prone to thinking, oh yeah, but you know, that's you. I can't like, that's, I'm so far from that. I'm not you. I'm not as accomplished or as competent or whatever, forgetting that they've had this whole journey where they weren't either. <laughs> um, so I do love hearing those stories of people that are one or two steps ahead of where we're at so that we can see ourselves in them and go, okay, yeah, that's possible for me. So I love that those are the books that you've contributed to. Absolutely. Right. And our careers are a journey. Yeah. And they are absolutely positively nonlinear. Yes. I had a plan when I left university. That plan looks nothing like my life today. No, no. And, 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 and it didn't six months after graduation, right? It had already veered off course. So it's really important to share our stories. Yes. Yeah, agree. Yeah, because like, you know, I look at my kids and they went to uni and kind of have this pressure still even today where they feel like they have to know what it is that they're doing. Why am I doing this degree? What am I doing at the end of it? I have to have my life mapped out right now. And I think that pressure is too much. And so rather than deal with the pressure, they're just like, no, forget it. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> which is, you know, an option. Um, but the if they have that clear understanding that actually doesn't matter what plan you have right now, it's probably not going to pan out for you. And even if it does, you're probably going to find that you're not all that excited about it. Um, and so like let go of the knowing and like get to know yourself more. I think that's probably for me the first step is who am I? And what do I love? And, you know, what are my values and all of that kind of stuff, um, which is a whole other, other topic. But I think we put so much pressure on knowing our path and not enough pressure on knowing ourselves. Anyway, off track. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, 
Um, so you, you mentioned a few things in there around adaptive transformation um, and the right people, the right seat, which gosh, that one, I that rings so <laughs> true for me. I've definitely been in the wrong seat, although kind of with a plan to get to the right seat. Like, you know, sometimes we do have to start in the wrong seat in order to get to the right seat. And I think that's okay as long as we are aware of it. I think that we don't necessarily know what the right seat is all the time. True. I think that right there are jobs that we take because they sound interesting. Mm-hmm. They may align with our education, mm-hmm. and it's that plan, right? We're on that path we wanted to be on. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle of all of it, it doesn't make sense anymore, mm. and it's not fulfilling, or it's not challenging, or it's soul draining and awful. I mean, there's lots of different things that can happen. And we, you know, have the opportunity to make choices and make changes and try something new, something different. And when talking about, you know, building teams and looking at that, right, looking at the dynamic and the makeup of the people involved in a team, right, you will see the people who are there 100% engaged and doing everything spot on the high performers, And you can almost put those people in any role and they will excel because that's how they're wired. They don't know any better. They just do. Yes. As much as we want to have a whole team of those people, it's almost impossible to get that many high performers. And often if you have only high performers, there are things about your business and your department that won't get done well. Mm-hmm. because they're repetitive mm-hmm. and those high performers don't necessarily like that work. So we have to understand what our job tasks are, what the work is and who the people are and how they show up. And what's good for Rochelle today, 18 months from now may no longer fit. Yeah. And that may be because you have, you know, somebody's become bored with the, the role you have gone and have education and you have new skills and you want to explore and do different things, or it's just, it's boring now what's next. Yes. And so managing teams is a very active process mm. that is leaders. We have to be very attuned to what's going on, not only in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well, because those are the dynamics that we see them, but we don't see them. Yeah. Right. In an office situation, somebody comes in, they might be five or 10 minutes late and, oh, I'm so sorry. And they start their day. But the 90 minutes before that with a sick child or an aging parent or those things that contributed, how do we find the flexibility to make it easier for that person to start their day? Mm. Do they need a flexible work schedule? Do they need to start at 10 a.m., not 8 a.m.? Do they have childcare issues, elder care issues? Are they themselves ill and taking treatment for something? Mm As leaders, we're really accountable to understand what's going on around us. And the mindset, and in the U.S., we're seeing more and more of this getting back to people need to be in offices with their butts at their desks from start a business to close a business. And it's absurd. Yeah. Um, There was an article that I read a couple of weeks ago. I shouldn't call it an article. It was an op-ed, opinion editorial, right? Somebody was up on their soapbox. But the point resonated for me so well that this return back to that mindset of sitting at a desk for you all day long is a symptom of the old paradigm Mm -hmm. of male-dominated leadership 
where, and I'm going to be a little flippant for this one, but right. They get to get away from the house Mm -hmm. and go to the office and only do their work stuff. Yeah. For women, it's more complicated than that. And without wanting to be totally flippant, I know that there are male people who play the roles of caregivers for elderly people, for elderly members of their family, for their children. But whoever is the primary caregiver in a household, in a family, and also works, the traditional work paradigm sucks. Yeah. Um, One of the things I talk about often in telling people that they need to get back to the office is this idea of we collaborate better in person. Um, we must, you know, we must be face to face to connect and collaborate. I'd love to hear your take on that. We have different personality types. We have different behavioral styles. The voices, and they're the loud voices mm-hmm. that want to be in a room face to face because we interact better that way, are extroverted individuals who need the in the that in person interaction. That's where they get their energy mm-hmm. and their drive. And they do perform better in that environment. They are a percentage of the workforce. Mm. The other side of that workforce finds those truly introverted people find going into the office, having meetings and that in-person group interaction taxing, it drains their energy, it stresses them out And that is fundamentally, right? I've just given us two groups, but fundamentally why there isn't an answer. Mm. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And there is a time and a place where we should be together in a room interacting eyeball to eyeball. And there is a time when we should be able to be quietly off in our home office or wherever it is that we have, you know, our our productivity zone doing work Mm. and know that not everybody performs in every environment at a hundred percent all the time. And mm. so hybrid is actually kind of the answer. Yeah. Um, and it will speak to everybody at some point in time. I think that we've learned from a collaboration, which was the second part of the question piece that those individuals who are more introverted, who tend to say less in a meeting room with our online collaboration tools can make their comments by typing Yes, and not necessarily talking. Um, and we have new and different ways, and we can do it to the whole group. We can send a message, you know, out to the whole group or to one other person. And oftentimes, right, our quietest people have allies or partners in crime who are a little bit more verbose, and we have the way for them to use that to get their points shared. that in a big meeting room would be missed entirely yes yeah yeah I I agree I think it um it really brings in more diversity right it 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 allows voices to be heard that traditionally have not been heard uh which is why we have open plan offices where everybody sits there all day because the voices that are traditionally heard are the extroverts that do love the open plan office and do want to sit on in the seat all day so uh I think it's only a good thing to you know this change that we've all been through and I hope that it is allowed to continue and with this move from the federal government I have my fingers crossed um okay so talk to me about adaptive transformation 
So adaptive transformation is the framework that I've developed over the years to get us to how we get those people processes and technology things working together. It uses four best practices, project management, process management, internal controls and organizational change management. Big things that people can study and invest lots of time, money and certifications and knowledge and education and corporations spend billions of dollars on these practices. And that's awesome if you have billions of dollars to invest in that. Mm -hmm. Less than 5% of all of the businesses in the world can spend that kind of money. Yeah. So I have the education and the skills and I played with all of these ideas and realized that project management is about planning how work gets done. We need to do something. There's steps we need to get from A to Z and we need to know how long it's going to take, how money it's, how much money and how many people, right? We, we can figure out what that is. We are managing projects. Mm -hmm. I talked a little bit earlier about process, right? It's about knowing what I do and how it feeds into what the next person does and ultimately, all of this work has to serve a customer yes. Who, at the end of the day, right? The customer of that business needs to get something out of all of this work or the business is losing money and they don't even know it. Yeah. Internal controls are a finance and accounting idea that just means you know where there's potential risk that can happen and you minim minimize or mitigate the, the possibility of that. So I use that idea across processes operationally so that we know if this is a high risk thing, we need to look at it a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. Organizational change is all about taking people in the, in the business through change. We're bringing in new technology. We're launching a new product. We are experiencing a pandemic. All of these things, right, our changes, our disruptions, and if we know how to communicate and guide that experience, we can take our people anywhere we want to go. Yeah. So if we take these four things, which are big and daunting to many, and take the simplest ideas out of all of them and give those skills and capabilities to everyone, mm -hmm. our business, our, and whether that we're talking about a business that we own, a department that we run, a team that we're supervising, if we can give these basic skills to everyone, we have created a team of people who can perform under the most difficult set of circumstances and continue to make progress forward that is making positive impact. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And they, like, like you said, they're definitely all they can be very big things uh, and yet also very simple. So I really like that these are things that can be done by individuals. Uh, and I, you know, I work with my team to build their skills in project management, for example. Okay, here's a task, but like it's it's a big task. Let's put this into a project. We don't have to, but let's do it anyway because it's good practice. Um, so, I, you know, I think that using all of those four tools will be like, sort of a supercharge for your team, right? Really get them on track. Um, the one I'm probably most curious about and passing on to your team is the organizational change management. And I assume in this case, it's talking sort of team change management rather than, you know, if we're talking about building teams, how does the team learn and apply change management for itself? So 
so of all all of the the four things the the organizational change is my favorite to talk about because it's the most impactful because we're talking about the people yes so in a nutshell right organizational change management is about getting each and every person to want to participate in the change mm -hmm. because until each individual has made the personal commitment to change, nothing will change until everybody's there. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so incredibly powerful. And so it's, it's a formal process and it's communication is the cornerstone of this. And the idea that we need to communicate and then we need to communicate and we need to communicate more, yeah. but each level of communication needs to have purpose. Yeah. So we need to start with something is going to happen. We need to build awareness and we need to inform and educate at a very high level what the change is, why we're doing it, because there's some reason it is to benefit our customer. It is to benefit us and how we operate. We may be you know, trying to become more effective, more efficient. We may be changing processes. We may be going through a growth cycle and we actually need to bring more people in, right? What is it and why? Why are we doing it? And that why is at a high level for the, the, the team, the organization. Then we need to start building their knowledge about what it is. Are we bringing in a new tool? Or how, what is it? How does it work? How did we pick it? Who was involved in the process of picking it? Because the, it shouldn't have just been done in you know a back closet somewhere. And somebody said, I think I like that one by throwing a dart at a board. Right? We need to communicate why what it is, why it is, why it is, why it is, all the way down to a, a point that is the critical success point. What's in it for me, the individual worker, the individual employee? What do I get out of this? How does this make my job easier? How does it make me more effective? How does it give me an opportunity to get into a new role, to get a promotion, to do something different, whatever it is? Yes. Once we get down to the what's in it for me, we're golden. Yeah. We are, we have, I don't know, the train is on the tracks, the engine is running and we are in motion. Yeah. We have, we have built awareness. We have built some desire, right? What's in it for me? I want to be a part of it. And now we're starting to build the knowledge, how it works, what it is and all of those things. And through that, that's the longest part while we're building, right? Cause we have to learn new skills. Mm -hmm. We may have to design new departments. We may have to do all sorts of things. And this is where the project management starts to layer underneath it. Yeah. And we are, we're, we're, we're making that progress. And then we want to go live, whatever it is, is new. And so we have trained and we have learned, and now we have made the shift from yesterday and the way we've always done it mm -hmm. to the new way. Mm -hmm. And on day one, everybody is excited and everything is great. And a lot of things start to not work quite right. Mm -hmm. And we start to, the excitement starts to dwindle down into the, oh, this is, this is not right. Well, we have to retrain, re right? We have to keep them on the path of that. And that's long-term reinforcement. Yeah. And that's the powerful piece, right? That is where we go back to reminding about that with them, what's in it for me, yeah. showing the benefits, showing things and how they've changed and the impact of it and the impact to external facing stakeholders, internal stakeholders, and the individuals themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah. My favorite story about this is an old one. And many, many decades ago, I was working in a financial institution and we were changing the technology and we were bringing new computer systems to the branches for the, the bank tellers. And we gave them mice, we gave them a mouse to go with their keyboard. They had never seen anything like it. It's terrifying to them because they are, are the people who understand when they look at a keyboard, what all of those function keys at the top were designed to do originally. And that's how they conducted and did everything. Yeah. The first six months of working with a mouse on their keyboard was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And they revolted and they rebelled and they, it, you would have thought the world had ended. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they got really comfortable with it. And their production time improved. They spent less time with each customer making a deposit, making a withdrawal, right? It was fewer keystrokes. Everything was faster. That six months of change resistance had everything to do with the fact that we did not explain to them how much easier it would be when their work was faster, mm. how much more they would accomplish and how it was actually less taxing to them day in and day out. It flowed better. Yeah. Those are those moments where in retrospect, oh my gosh, if we could do that differently, yeah. it would, but I mean, it's every kind of change. That one I just like to share because everybody sort of remembers a moment when they were given a totally foreign piece of something. Um, it would be like asking, you know, the 18 or 19 year olds to, you know, I don't know, find a payphone, and you, you make a call that way. They would, Why that sounds so hard. You know, <laughs> okay, in that case, it is actually hard. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it is just because it's foreign doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing. So, yeah, that's that's a great example. Um, I can certainly relate to many different projects going out where, you know, the change has not been communicated hardly at all. And there is no idea of what's in it for me, let alone what's in it for the organization. It just feels like change for change's sake because no one's told you any differently. So uh, I can, you know, definitely relate to that. And I think I know the answer to this question, but what if there is no WIFM? What if there is nothing in it for me personally? That's, that's a tough one because there are probably scenarios where that's very true. Mm -hmm. But my question in those circumstances is always, then why are we doing it? Mm. Is it change for change sake? Mm -hmm. And so in the design of that, there's an exploration that needs to happen with the decision makers to figure out why. Okay, so here's one of those hard whys. We're losing money. Yeah. We need to be more effective. We need to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. The hard with them to tell in those scenarios is what's in it for you is we're trying to save your job. Yeah. Yeah. That's the extreme story, right? I, yeah. I'm, I'm giving you that one that just used everybody goes, oh, that sucks. But that's often right. If when we have that, there's nothing in it for me. There probably is, and people just aren't telling the cold, honest truth. Yeah. 
and transparency is critical yes. because people are smart. They get the vibe of what's going on around them. And the scenarios that you're, you're hinting at are always the hard ones because mm. finding the what's the with them when it's a positive change is easy. Mm. When it's a reactionary change to circumstances, they're, they're harder to define. But if you're honest, I have worked on change initiatives that were sunsetting products, services, teams, departments. And while we were going through that, trying to design the future state that would require fewer people. When we were honest, the best and the brightest came up with clever ways to save people and jobs and roles and move them around in ways that we would never have found if we had not been honest and open, yeah. right? More perspectives, yeah. more diversity and thought, yeah. broader vantage point, better solution. Yeah. Yeah. And look, that that's so critical, I think. And something that we've missed often in the past is that co-design piece, right? We um, come often from that, and I don't know if this is the right term, but it's the one I'll use as patriarchal um, framework of I know best and I'm going to tell you what the change is and, and you're just going to do it. Um, maybe I'll come up with a whiffer, maybe I won't, but you know, it, it's my way or the highway kind of thing was the past, right? Uh, and we miss so much when we come from that stance, even for small changes. Um, one of the things that my team is going through at the moment is we have to shift desks. Uh, small change, like we have to move from one floor up the top to another floor down the bottom and another building uh, because teams are expanding and not our team. Our team just gets moved. The team, other teams are expanding and they need the space, right? And that's just a change that's done to the team. I would love to see some discussion around, here's our problem. Let's, let's brainstorm some solutions. What have you got, guys? You know, like tiny problem doesn't really matter, to be honest, at the end of the day. But that approach, it would be so much better for people. Location changes are some of the most disruptive to the flow of business. There, they have people respond emotionally to it, mm. right? And and it's things like, well, today I'm sitting and I have a window, and then in this new place I don't have a window, and and then my new desk is right outside of the the restrooms, and you know they're all, oh my God, where we sit and work is very emotional. Yeah, and there are those right that top down well we, we've made it happen mm. without talking to the teams involved mm. right they're playing you know they're playing checkers right they're just going through the motions of making things move from you know one end to the other and when you do engage the two different teams or three different teams that are involved in the in the shuffle there is a better solution if you mm. talk to the people directly and let them design it for themselves mm. it's always more successful with fewer moving pieces and ultimately less cost to the company. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Almost yeah. always. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that we can remember as leaders, as, as managers, as middle managers, or, or, you know, even just a few steps up is to involve people early in that change, whatever the changes involve people early and you will be surprised at what comes out of it. Absolutely. And I will own being guilty as a manager at some point in my past um, with a team going through a 
desk move of thinking to myself, I'm going to be really helpful. I am going to handle this, not bother anybody with it and just figure it out because they're focused on their job and all of the other work. And I made a mess of it. Yeah. They told me I made a mess of it and we fixed it. I, there were days and things lost because I was being helpful in a way that was absolutely positively not helpful at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that they felt comfortable telling you you made a mess of it. That tells me that you were a good manager. So well done. <laughs> Even if you're making mistakes, at least they've got the psychological safety to be able to say, hey, Lisa, you made a mistake here. Let's uh, let's look at this again, shall we? <laughs> yeah, they didn't mince words at all. <laughs> uh, and that's right. I built a good team. Yeah. I had great people who did, you know, were capable and smart and confident in their abilities and supported them with everything that I had. And sometimes that wasn't what they needed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation uh, that we've been having lately around, look, you know, you, you don't have to do it all for them. They are smart human beings, give them the, the agency that they have and, and allow them to grow in the process, right? That's, they can make mistakes and that's okay. That's part of their growth pattern. But we try it like, like with our children, we try and shield them from mistakes and help them with the lessons we've learned. And it actually doesn't help them in the end. They've got to go through it. So, yeah. Um, okay. I've got a couple of questions for you. What is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew five years ago? In business, there really are no fatal mistakes. We can, I can make a decision today that seems like the best possible decision I can make. And I can learn two weeks from now, six months from now that it was ill-informed and stupid. And I can learn from that and I can move on. There is nothing about that that put my actual life at risk. Yes. So there are, you know, be, make decisions. Don't overthink things. You can change course. You can step back. If you mess up, you can apologize if you need to. Yeah. But I do believe that taking action is more important than getting stuck in analysis paralysis. And five years ago, I spent a lot of time thinking and yeah. overthinking yeah. and then thinking some more. Yeah. Yeah. And we still end up in the same place, right? It's, we still haven't, we have not got enough information at any one point in time to make the perfect decision. We can just make a decision, move forward and see where it takes us. So that's awesome. I love that. Final question. Do you have a leadership mantra? What is the thing that you find yourself saying often in the leadership space? If it scares me, I should do it. So I don't know that that's actually a mantra, but it right yeah. that mindset, if, if I'm feeling uncomfortable or if I'm feeling uncertain and I want to step away from the opportunity, the experience, that's the stuff I need to actually push into and do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the growth, right? That's, that's, where, the, the that's where we grow. And it's a little uncomfortable. And sometimes it may even be a little bit emotionally painful. Um, but that's where the magic actually happens is being, becoming comfortable in discomfort. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. Fantastic. Lisa, I have loved our conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. I've really appreciated it. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you want to continue the conversation about today's topic or anything to do with being a leader from the inside out, come and join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group. You'll find the link to join in the show notes as well as the links to connect with today's wonderful guest. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others. And of course, if you've been listening to podcasts for any amount of time, you'll know that rating the show and leaving a review helps others to find the show and I would really appreciate that. Until next week, continue to lead the way her way.